my name is Melanie Thorley and this is Chris De Santana and we are solicitors at MJT Law and this is our next podcast. Welcome to our new space. Yeah, our new space. So <laughs> I think a couple podcasts ago we we mentioned that we had moved moved the whole office around. Um, so this is our new sort of kind of chillax area. It is, it is. We've got like a little video game space here and yeah, we've got a sofas and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know, how are you finding it? I find it's nice. Mm. I find it's quite kind of separated from the rest of the office so yeah. you kind of have a little bit of um, seclusion there if you want to kind of oh, okay. free your brain. We've got our Nintendo. We do. <laughs> not that we're any good at it. <laughs> That's not true. Remember when we first got it, we, Melanie less so, <laughs> but certainly um, Nira and I, um, we were hopeless. I think what were we playing? We were playing Donkey, Donkey Kong. Kong and couldn't get past the first level. <laughs> Like, like not even, I don't even think I could get past the first kind of... Yeah, the barrels uh, are Yeah, coming. the first obstacle. Um, but it didn't take long. Like, I think no. within half an hour, we <laughs> yeah. kind of finished except, it. Except the games last like 20 seconds. So. Yeah, there was, a lot, there was a lot of lives in between. Yeah, there were. There were a lot of lives. No, it was a lot of fun. So we've got this kind of new setup now that everything's kind of here instead of where we were. Mm. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's gonna make a lot of sense. I think we, I think it'd be pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's nice. Well, welcome everyone. Um, I've got a uh, a couple of things to talk about today, and my brother brought up cryptocurrency. Right, because yeah. that's been very big in the very big at the moment. There's a lot of stuff happening in the crypto world. Isn't yeah, it? and this kind of you know uh, whether you call it artificial or not of uh, the buoyancy of the cryptocurrency, especially now Tesla's just announced they're going to they're going to pay for. Are they going to purchase 1.5 billion? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was, it's 1.5 billion. Um, and I think they also said that they're going to... Accept. Is accept it as, as payment? Yeah, I think that's what they're going to do. So, uh, I, look, I'm not across this particularly well, but I assume if you want to buy a Tesla car, you can take your cryptocurrency and then pay for it somehow with that, and then you receive the car. So, like, it's uh, cash money. It's like cash, but... Isn't cryptocurrency more closer to, I would consider shares? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a bit hard to, like, purchasing things with shares is doable. Yeah. What do you, what price do you pay today? Yeah. And for the most part, shares will be fine because it doesn't fluctuate too much. Mm. But when it's fluctuating hundreds of dollars a day. Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of arguments out there that there are cryptocurrencies out there that are quite stable. But I, I'm with you on this one. I think that cryptocurrency is too unstable. But the, the question came up about paying people in cryptocurrency. Yeah, right. So I, I was kind of thinking about this because it occurred to me that my immediate reaction is, in Australia, it is not possible to pay an employee through any other means than Australian dollars. Mm. It's just kind of what I think, yeah? And then I started looking into this and like, where is that written? And it's not. Well, you, have a certain, you certainly have a lot of people who are paid in, um, in shares and in, in... Yeah, but I'm talking about your daily salary. I'm talking mm. about your minimum wage. I'm talking about okay. working as okay. a employee at Woolworths and you're, you're under the general retail award, well, you might not be because you're under an enterprise agreement, but, but there's nowhere it says, it just talks about the dollar sign. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm, I was assuming that this means cash. Well, 
actual means Australian dollars. Currency. Yeah. Cur Australian dollar currency. But then I, I started thinking about it more and it doesn't actually stipulate it anywhere in the Fair Work Act. But surely there'd be a sort of public policy issue here where, I mean, the potential here is that if you're being paid minimum wage, you get, even if it's shares or it's cryptocurrency or it's in fact any investment, mm. um, that by the time you receive it or within a week, it's worth actually, less. It's worth way less. Well, one might argue that about inflation or deflation. I mean, the, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we take ourselves back to the end of World War II. Mm. There are a lot of countries, and there are still a lot of countries in a lot of pain when it comes to their inflation. But it, we, we used to, I was very young back then, um, obviously. But I remember call when I was at school, people were talking about taking suitcases full of money to buy bread mm. and things like that. And I just wonder if you do that, if, if you end up paying people in something that's less stable, less backed, mm. less star rated, you know, all those things, that they're going to end up getting $100 and by the afternoon it's worth 20 Or it might be worth 120 mm. And it's just this kind of... So it's not so much... Because when you think of currency broadly speaking, you're right. If, it, if inflation rates were massive then it's equally as Dangerous. problematic as cryptocurrency and shares and, and anything it's true but we're in australia we're, we're a apex country mm. so uh, what about countries that are not well exactly but <clears throat> maybe for them cryptocurrency is the way to go i actually don't know taking it out of the <clears throat> you know that the australian stock market mm. and the investment sort of traditional investments and taking it out of the country because cryptocurrency is not about being in a country. It's, no. a, it's a product. So it's just kind of really interesting. And when you talk about public policy, I had to go back to the Fair Work Act mm. and kind of think about what, what they were trying to achieve. <clears throat> and what it says in there, right at the very beginning of the Fair Work Act, we talk about the, um, objects, and the objects of the Act. Is it Section 3? Section 3. So it says, um, <clears throat> the object of this Act is to provide a balanced framework for cooperative and productive workplace relations that promotes national economic prosperity okay. and social inclusion for all Australians by, I'm not going to go too far guys, um, <clears throat> providing work, work, workplace rate relations laws that are fair to working Australians, are flexible for businesses, promote productivity, economic growth for Australian future economic prosperity and to take into account the Australia's international labour obligations. So this is all about growth for Australia. If you're using cryptocurrency, surely that's not actually what's happening. Who well, benefits? I'd make an argument though that by potentially giving people the, the ability to grow their wealth in a far bigger way than currency, um, you are then providing more to Australian people who could then, you know, sell it and spend it in our country. Okay, so I take you to the ATO on this one, the Australian Taxation Office, <clears throat> and it says receiving cash for the work you do. Your employer may pay your wages in cash rather than into your bank account. Some, and this says some businesses deliberately use tra cash transactions to avoid meeting their tax obligation and employee responsibilities. So uh, I, was just, I was just thinking about this. Um, it says here also your rights and responsibilities. So this is the ATO talking to individuals. If you're being paid cash, you must declare the cash as income when you lodge your tax return. 
it's going to be hard to do for cryptocurrency. Mm. You should receive a payslip showing all your earnings and the amount of tax taken out. And you should and you receive payment summary at the end of the year and should check the employers making your super contributions. So how on earth would one do that? Taking into account the objects of the mm. Act and what the ATO want, if we're using cryptocurrency, we are removing a taxation ability in mm. the country and that's how we run our traffic lights. That's how we that's true. Do you know, I just I just wonder if there's there's something else there we're missing if we're using cryptocurrency. But if we, it's almost like we're catering to the common, lowest common denominator here. Where if you aren't paid in cash, then you are not going to um, adhere to your tax obligations. But you could. I mean, you can still do it. Like you can still have be paid in crypto, mm. liquefy the assets in some way. Um, and, and then still pay your tax at the end of the year. I mean, just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not impossible. So what you're saying is there's a possibility that an employer could pay the wages that go into your bank account in cryptocurrency but pay their tax obligations, the super, mm. for instance, mm. uh, and the PAYG withholding as a Australian dollar figure. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I can't see a situation where you... you pay your tax in you couldn't pay tax in crypto no but because there's cryptocurrency is not an australian based no. but i think there is the current laws i don't think allow for it because you you have all these obligations about pay slips and things like that but i think there is potential that if there was a want for it to change the ability to pay your employees such that you could pay in crypto or in an investment as an equivalent to as an equivalent to with for <clears> example <throat> you'd have to prove that the average amount within the last year or however much well, this, this is, is the average well, amount this is in that so yeah. you're, you're allowing for contingencies either way well this is the problem with underpayments isn't it so when we talk about underpayments we think about overall was that employee paid more or less than what they should have been mm. paid so if you're paying in cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency changes, when, as an employer, I pay my employees into their bank accounts, there is a, there is a point in time with which that currency is worth something specific. But I wonder, by the time it gets transferred, it's worth less or more. How do I account for that later when I'm doing my, at the end of the year, you know, accumulation, um, requirements because a lot of awards say that employers who need to stop and have a look mm. at what they paid their employees based on what they actually paid against what the minimum wage is and pay them the difference. So who, right. who, at what point do we look at that figure and say, oh they're under? Because right. 10 months down the track cryptocurrency could have crashed mm. and what a dollar was worth today is in 8 months time is now worth 25 cents. So what you're saying is, and, and I think you're quite right, that currency has the exact same problem. It just doesn't happen as much. It doesn't happen as quickly. As quickly um, and, and to such drastic amounts. But it has a, now that you mention it, I actually think this might be a problem for a lot of people. Because if you're paying people bang on the, the, the minimum wage, mm. so not a mm. cent more, mm. there's every chance that, that by the end of the year, by the end of the time they finish their employment, they are actually under. 
Except this calculation is done annually and so is CPI. It, it stays mm -hmm. static for that entire year. What your dollar is worth today is going to be worth the same on 30 January, as far as I understand. Okay, With so cryptocurrency, it doesn't. It's, it's a per second. Yeah. It's an infinite timeline. Look, I don't know. This is, this is just a really interesting question. And it brings me to the next point, mm. if we can delve into this a bit more and just go side sideways. What about paying people on other things? This came so up today in the news this morning. <clears throat> well, you pay, we've been talking about cryptocurrency. What about paying in... Like a car? Yeah, oranges. I don't know. Any, anything, <clears throat> anything. Any good. Any, or even any, a service for that. Any things, yeah, any things. I, I run a law firm. I'm going to pay you cash and I'm going to give you a, a benefit of using legal advice, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, it came up. It, it's an interesting question. Yeah. It, it's not allowed in Australia. Your minimum wage must be in cash. Mm. But what if we change the rules? Um, <clears throat> when I was watching ABC News this morning, they were talking about McDonald's trying to bargain into their enterprise agreement that the snacks... That <laughs> As in like the chips, that you know the leftover chips that you might grab a handful Well, I've never worked at McDonald's, but there's a lot of people who have. Uh, I can tell you, there's somebody who works in fast food, you eat an awful, <laughs> awful amount of chips. Because so, they're around. So, you know, they, they, they are... I, look. For me, it was just a three-second news article, so mm. I could be completely off base here, but it, it sounded to me as if um, they were exploring the options of also having the additional benefits paid in the food with which people eat. Mm. Um, McDonald's made it very clear at the time that they are, you know, they are going to comply with all their legal obligations when it comes to... So, you know, just set that aside. So it a little yeah, bit I'm not talking about McDonald's underpaying their staff. I'm talking about an enterprise agreement changing the way we look at the way payment mm. is made. So if you, um, yeah, if you work at McDonald's or you work at... Uh, a clothes store, for instance, and you take home a, a dress that's mm. worth $120, can you just take that dress and offset it against your pay? Are we? I mean, it's it's unlawful at the moment, mm. but I don't know. What's your thoughts? Holidays, oh. cars. You know, we can we can keep going on here, but I'm talking about your base wage. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I'm talking about all the benefits and the STIs and so on. Um, I mean, you've got the. The ability there sort of already where if you were to be underpaying someone you could then sue them for the amount of benefit that they got in a cross kind of claim but putting that aside I don't know about it I, I generally think people I don't think it's good for the economy for people to get it like that I think you're restricting, <laughs> Certainly isn't. You're restricting um, flow of cash here um, and then again, if it's by agreement, I mean, if, 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 well, this is the thing, isn't it? it? When we talk about contracts as a baseline, a contract is just an agreement between two people, mm. intention to be legally binding with consideration. So if all those things exist, the, the trouble I have with this is not necessarily the employee receiving something worth $120, mm. but what is the employer paying for that? So yes, that's my, kind of, yeah. when I pay my employees, cash it's costing me the same amount as i'm paying mm. but if i pay them in something else like my services well my immediate thought when you just mentioned it there that you'd have to base it off the cost price rather than the price at the end because when you think about it, it's actually a win-win for everyone 
If okay. you do it off the cost price, the employer is not losing anything except for the fact that they no longer have that dress on the shelves. But assume to sell at the higher to cost. sell at a higher amount. Yeah. Um, but they still just a, you know they're still only paying fifty. They're only paying fifty dollars for the dress. I guess the question is, what cost price are we talking about? We're we talking about the price it costs the employer to receive that good, or we're we talking about the cost of the price of the item to receive that good and the lost opportunity of putting it on the shelf. I think you'd have. I think you'd have to take that into account some amount or whatever that looks like. I don't but like it. I don't like I it. Don't, <clears throat> I think if someone wants to buy something, they should buy something. But it's, you can see it's a win-win for everyone because I mean the employee is essentially getting benefit of the difference. Yeah. And the employer if, had to pay them anyway. But what if this employee wants to increase their living quality? How do they do that when half the money they're receiving is through goods? But is that not their own choice? To, is it their choice to grab this? Oh, I think the difference is, is it their choice to grab the dress or are they here as a dress? I think it's, I'm going to pay you, you, you are entitled to $1,000. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you 800 and 200 of that is going to be in the form of... Like a credit towards the store or something. I have no idea. Yeah, uh, 200, I've calculated that you've eaten and that's an offset. I don't know, yeah, you, I'm going to give, I know that the average employee eats 10 hamburgers and a <coughs> weekly shift, mm. <coughs> excuse me, and that's worth X, Y dollars. So now the minimum wage is not a thousand, it's now 950. I don't know, you know. Uh, I don't love it. Uh, I mean, I mean, be completely honest, I, I think it's... Doesn't it restrict also what you're buying? Huh. And benefits the company insofar as they've got more of their product out there. So literally just by virtue of all the people. Yeah, they've got a thousand employees, they're all walking around in that brand. Do you think that's... I mean, I know a lot of people that work in retail and almost all of them have a various discount mm. that might mm. be for buying yeah. their own clothes, yeah. right? Is that, is that the thought process part? Is it simply just a... I actually a don't know. I heard about it this morning and I've been thinking about it. Every now and again a client comes up to me and says, can I pay my employees in holidays? Can mm. I pay my employees in something else? Instead of giving them, you know, can I give them their minimum wage for the ordinary hours that they work and all the overtime with which they work, mm. I want to give them a holiday instead of the cash money. <clears throat> and the answer is no. You have to give them the money. Yeah. But what if the answer is yes? It's, yeah, I don't like it because it, I think you end up with a situation where I think inevitably you're going to have employees who would say, I'd rather the money. That's right. If you take a holiday. I think it's going to happen. What if, what if the holiday is you have to holiday with all your workmates? Oh, well, presumably that's, yeah, that's going to happen. And then right? no, <clears throat> no partners are allowed. And then what do you do? You're stuck with your workmates on a holiday? Yay? Yeah, and for the <laughs> you know for the new parents who really who's barely at home anyway and yeah. really wishes they had this time to yeah. actually be with their family. It's kind of weird, right? So look, I don't know if anyone out there has a point of view on this. Um, let us know. Mm. I just I just think it's kind of a you know it, it's that weird cryptocurrency concept, and then what do you, if if we're going to open that floodgate? Is that just a tip of a very mm. dangerous iceberg? You know, if we let that in, what else do we let in? And at what point are we just keeping people for stuff they're not actually you know where mm. does it end i think but i still think it achieves i actually really think that the crypto thing i think it has logistical problems but 
the idea of paying people in shares I actually, and investments, I think, can be explored. I think we just, I think it's almost just too hard. I don't mind the idea of it being bonuses. I don't like it as ordinary income. STIs, bonuses, stuff like that. The person is it. not expecting, you know, that your salary is eighty thousand dollars a year plus bonuses. If if you if an employer wants to pay in cryptocurrency those bonuses, I don't see anything wrong with that. I've got a real problem with changing our Australian cash money mm. for something because a that person might not know how to use it. They might not have. They might not want to use it in the same ways that you can. Can, you can use it. Mm. I just, I don't think it provides the Australian government with the benefits of actual cash money, because that that currency disappears, doesn't stay in Australia, mm. doesn't get used, and um, you know all that kind of stuff with GST and everything. So there's less money floating around Australia. I think I think there are just big issues with it. But you know who knows? We might live in a Star Trek universe where they're not using money at all one day. So. Could be. I mean, no, we're going to no. live in a world, I think, very shortly where cash isn't the thing. Oh my god, cash like a caveman. Cash, like I can't even remember the last time I was holding on to actual oh, cash is such physical a, cash yeah. in my wallet. And especially in these days where we don't like touching that sort of thing either. Well, anyway, anybody out there got any views on this? Um, let us know if you prefer your bonuses and holidays. Happy days. Let us know. Yeah. Yep. Cryptocurrency. Here we come. You've got an employer who's actually paying you enough. Fascinated to find out yeah, a little bit more enough. about it. So one thing I want to touch on, um, going back to I think last week's podcast, we were talking a lot about some of these stranger things that have happened on Zoom calls and some people who ended up in very um, compromising positions. Compromising, let's just call it compromising. For those um, who didn't watch last time, watch the podcast from last time. Yes, some some very questionable behaviour. Um, people that perhaps are trying to go into different industries, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Whether intentionally or not, they're going into a different industry. Um, but this week, a lawyer, very quickly, he found himself on, I think, almost every news outlet on earth <laughs> because he, he, in all fairness, sounded like an, an older gentleman and uh, he found himself in a courtroom and I actually personally a, didn't know. A virtual courtroom. A virtual courtroom. I think it was Microsoft Teams. And um, I didn't actually didn't know this, but you can actually put filters on yourself in the same way you can in a lot of apps, for example, Snapchat. And here he was appearing in front of a judge and the other side. And he looked exactly like a cat. He had a cat filter on him. Um, and the thing that I thought was the most interesting compared to, I suppose, the other ones we discussed last week, the sheer panic, <laughs> the sheer panic you could um, you could hear in his voice, and obviously have a look on on Google. Just type in lawyer cat yeah, filter. Yeah, lawyer court. cat filter you or will something. Find it anywhere. everywhere. And he is on there, and he's just panicking. And the thing I really loved about it was he maintained his professionalism the entire way through. He did. He did. I think he even said something along the lines of, uh, I, I can "You're on, yeah." I, I'm happy to proceed. I'm happy to proceed. <laughs> and, and I'm I, not a cat. <laughs> yeah, I, think that's, I think that's the quote of his, I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat. <laughs> just, to, just to make sure. Yeah, and the, and the judge was like, uh, yes, we can accept that or something. Yeah, I think the judge maintained his professionals as well. Just to make sure that he wasn't a cat talking in front of... <laughs> not a cat. 
Yeah, I, I really actually love the story because the the lawyer clearly was was upset. Yeah, you know, was... as as lawyers, we we have to. Rem our name is sprawled all over these documents. We are in front of a judge who will remember us mm. for the life of our careers. Yeah. So we, we have to behave in, in so far as the protocol of the courts make us behave or tell us to mm. behave. And there are lots of protocols. And one of them probably isn't do not appear as a cat, but there's Being a lot generally of, professional yeah, is probably in there somewhere. There's lots of things about the way we dress and, and having a jacket on and so on and so forth. So I just... I love this one because you could, you, you're, you're absolutely right. Behind the scenes, where the cat, you, where, where it's actually in yeah, reality. Yeah. You, if you were to have a cat a fly in the wall of there, there would have been, you know, the secretary's there, another lawyer, the paralegal was in there, all googling how to fix it, and I love it. I and actually really are, loved it. The guys are sitting here, yes, and you know, and I'm happy to. Yeah, I just love it. I love the fact he's kept, he's kept it. The, but I don't know what happened next. Um, neither do I actually, because I don't. There wasn't on the video, but I would have loved to see it play. I I doubt it. Like I think they probably would have adjourned for or stood figured, down yeah, or something. Figured it out, but taking a break from court. I would have loved them to just continue. Have the hearing as just, a cat. And I, I mean, is there any real? As long as he maintains his professionalness, is there any problem with problem this? With well, look. Uh, I think as long as it's an accident and we don't start having this yes. sort of thing happening as a laugh yeah. in the courtroom, because it's a serious matter. This was quite a serious offence mm. um, and it's, you know, we've got to do our duty to the client and, and present their case in a way that will give them the best chance of success. I don't see anything wrong with it. As long as they can, that, that individual is is able to present the matter appropriately, ah, carry on. So yeah, I, I just find it really interesting because compared to the other ones we discussed last week, where I think we can all agree if, you, if you've watched it, Those they're, are getting inappropriate. Fired. they're yeah. getting fired. They're getting fired. They're getting fired um, and cool. they may very well have question marks about they're staying practicing, in the industry. Yeah, yeah they're practicing certificates and so on. This gentleman, I think, deserves, deserves some some praise for, for being able to continue through it not a cat and, and be professional the entire way through very apologetic i mean he probably doesn't see it this way because he's probably mortified oh my god and i would have really hoped the judge because uh, the, the judge actually was the one who released um the video. the video to the wider world i really hope he asked him i think he would have yeah. i mean these courtrooms are open spaces anyway i don't know how that works in a in a team's environment because mm. if we um, if we have a hearing at court um, it's almost certainly going to be an open court so anybody mm. can walk in and out as they please but I just wonder how that works in a team's environment so there would be nothing wrong with it being public mm. I just on I, a professional I, level I would have you'd hope I mean if I, I, and look I just I, I, all about to him he did a really good job yeah fair to him um, he's, he, I think in 20 years time we'll probably laugh about it. Oh my god, he will um, be, they're probably laughing about it now, but oh, <laughs> he leaves a bit soon. <laughs> I think he's still got a fair, fair few networking events between he's now and an event which he will be known as the cat guy. But, um, I suppose it goes to my next sort of question. In New Zealand this week, there was a gentleman who has 
refused to wear a tie uh, in the, the parliamentary, the, the MP, uh, Wa'iti? Yes, I believe so. And he famously, I suppose, quoted it as being a colonial noose. That's right. And then he said it wasn't about the tie. No, no, it, it was about what the time meant and, mm. and, and the fact that mm. they had to dress in a certain mm. way and it was very mm. kind of English and mm. it goes back to their history. Mm. Um, and I mean, Jacinda, I didn't quite rightly said there's bigger fish to fry at the moment. That's right. The, the New Zealand Prime Minister was asked about this, wasn't she? And she and said she doesn't have a, a strong point of view of either way, but actually there are bigger issues that we need to deal with today. I think it flows into sort of what we just spoke about then though is what do you think about, um, I suppose, uh, as you're right, in Parliament and in court? There are there's, protocols. There's actually, it's actually fairly strict. There are actually rules though. There's, there's actually a rule in mm. the New Zealand Parliament that one must wear a tie. So it's, it's, it's not just the fact that ties are, have become one of those things to wear. Mm. It is, I think it's actually, and certainly I've, don't send me a thousand mm. emails, but if I'm wrong on this, I thought that there was actually a rule. Mm. There was that there is a tie, that one must wear a tie. Mm. And this particular gentleman was told last time he refused to wear a tie that he would be thrown out if he refused anyway. to wear a tie. And that, that's exactly what happened. Um, protocols, it's actually a really interesting question mm. and feeds into what I was thinking about today. The Chief Justice of the New South Wales Courts mm. made a really interesting statement um, in one of his recent speeches in the opening of the new year, opening of court and so yep. on. And Chief Justice Bathurst said that there needs to be improvements in the diversity of the judiciary and challenging the perception of the judiciary does not serve the interests of all. When judiciary is perceived as homogenous, mm. it is harder for the public to trust its impartiality in their decisions. The Chief Justice went on to say is, People are more likely to trust the judiciary when, to the extent they believe the judges represent social groups with which they belong. If a community cannot look to the judges and see men and women they identify with, they trust in the ability of the justice system to do right by them may be compromised. She's so, asking for a bit more diversity in, in... Well, Chief Justice Bathurst blatantly said it was homogenous, and in my view, that's, that's white. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think when you when you go to court, I don't think it's so much of an issue, and, and I may be correct here because I don't know the exact figures, but I don't think it's so much an issue as on the gender front. I think yeah, there's plenty of very accomplished um, Females, female judges. But we're talking about other races. Yeah, there is. I think there is a problem there. It's very Anglo-Saxon. I think um, I can't point to one that isn't. Actually, no, actually, neither can I. Come to now think of it, which know. now that I think about it, so it kind of feeds into this protocol thing. Mm. So, are we asking, should the courts have this old school protocol? Is that what you're basically mm. saying? Yeah. Here? So, I mean, there's a lot of protocols. Um, so you've got dress codes, um, things you can say, the way That's you refer right. to others, and um, the way you refer to the, the kind of when the judge comes in, you stand, yeah. you bow. Yeah. Um, yeah what the judge wears themselves, yep. the way they interact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how we hand over material, how we don't, there's yeah, lots and lots of protocols. It's very kind of, yeah, there's a lot of protocols yeah. there and, it's, and my understanding is that they're fairly old. Mm, um, I mean, were... they may have adapted in the same way Chinese whispers adapt. Mm. You know, you, it 
slightly changes and yeah, know, the wording it, changes. It would, it would date well back to, you know, Cromwell times, yeah, I would say. Very, very old. And I'm not so... Some of them I certainly think achieve what they should be achieving. Mm. Um, I certainly think um, the way we dress is important because mm. it, it emphasises our serious courtiers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that we're, you know, we're doing our duty to the court and we are being seen. Um, but certainly some of them I think can be... To wear a tie or not a tie, to have a collar, to not have a collar. It is interesting, isn't it? We, we decided here at MJT Law very recently that we, we're not taking clients until there is a, uh, an effective vaccine. Mm. And the, the, sorry, the vaccine is effective, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't take clients in the office. So the question comes up is what should we wear in the office then? Mm. And there is this kind of really, I'm going to call it old school way of thought that if you don't dress as a business person, you don't think like a business person. But I'm of the view that time has moved on from that. We are capable human beings. We're all adults. We know how one should behave. Should the way we work, wear, what we wear, change that? It's, it's a hard one. I, I'm not so certain that we have as much control over that. I'm not so certain that everyone has the ability to kind of switch and put a mask on irrespective of the environment that they're in, including what they're wearing. This is true. And is it a uniform? This is why the army has a uniform. Collective, mm. all the same, we are one, we work together. Mm. Our lawyers essentially wearing a uniform. I think there's certainly an argument to be said there. So I think ma- when, you, when you arrive in court and everyone is wearing, I mean, as, as women you have a lot more freedom than we do but as men generally you're either wearing grey or you're wearing blue Yeah. and generally it's either a red tie or a maroon tie um, so there's not a lot to, to differentiate that you're essentially wearing the exact same stuff yeah, you're, you're in a uniform there is a uniform attached to this so is, is that what we're doing we are associating with the legal profession allowing others to associate us with the legal profession I mean I don't know how many times you've been to court Every now and again, I end up at what we call the Roma Street um, First Appearance Courts, and that's basically everybody who's got a, who's got a notice to appear yeah. for the first time ends up at the Roma Street Courts. Yeah. And if you walk in with a suit on, people automatically think that you're a lawyer, mm. and that's because lawyers have a uniform. Yeah, well, I mean, it adds that in in Brisbane specifically, mm, yeah. um, the only people in the city who are wearing suits, are lawyers and people who are going for a job interview. You reckon? So, I think You're so. You're going to go I, that far? I think if you go to, to George Street and, and North Quay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot more suits there than you'll see in the rest of the... What about the financial services, dude? I don't know. If I don't know they're a bit more likes compared to us. Oh, here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm starting a war here between <laughs> us and the, and the accountants. But... <laughs> accountants versus um, lawyers. But I think you're right. We're, if we're looking at... Uh, professional services. I'm going to broaden it to professional services so I don't get 6,000 emails. Um, I think you're right. There is a set, a, a uniform to be had. If you're working in uh, any other industry, retail, um, some sort of computer-based industry, like we've got a, um, we've got some people who work directly opposite us in the in our mm. building, who are in advertising, yep. and none of them ever wear a suit 
ever. I've never no, seen any no, of them ever wear a suit. And very few of them actually wear shirts. Yeah, no. So uh, maybe we are wearing a uniform and that's what we should suck it up and that's what we should do. But, um, I mean... Are you a fan? Do you like the uniform? I think when I'm going to court, yes. Okay. I think it... I find my eye perform better. Mmm. Um, Is that it's perception? On a, on a personal level, okay. I think I perform better in, in, a, in a suit than I do... Not to, not that I have. You get your game face on, don't you? You, you get put your game you, face. You put your running shoes on when you go out jogging. You put your suit on when you're yeah. when you're focused on on achieving a goal for your client. And it goes for, um, you know, the fact that the judge is wearing their gown, mm. they're wearing the, the the wig, and and you're in the environment, you're in the game, you're on the field. It's true. Notwithstanding, courtrooms are incredibly cold. Oh yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, um, you, you know, I don't know. Do you think that's a chicken and egg situation? Are, we, are they making it cold so everyone can wear their suit comfortably? Or are we wearing suits because it is freezing cold? All I can tell you is that there are courtrooms that even while I'm wearing a suit, I've still got winter woolies underneath yep. because it yep. is so cold. It is insanely cold in there. Yeah. Um, so maybe they are. Maybe they're trying to get us to rug up. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't... Um, and this is a little bit before me, but I believe um, one of the changes in the protocol was that women were able to wear flats as opposed to ah, high yes. heels. This is all, all these protocols have changed, like uh, women who wear skirts must wear stockings or closed, only closed-toed shoes are allowed in court. Mm. I think there's been a watering down and yes, the flats have come in and that came in because of this question, I think, in England where one of the law firms looked to fire a female solicitor who didn't want to wear heels. Right, I mean, putting that aside, the, the potential discrimination problems there. Yeah, I um, think I think what what they've done, because men get to wear flats. Yeah, um, and they're actually fairly comfortable. Yeah, yeah. women's high heels are just not. Um, yeah, look, I think there's been a, a, a relaxing of some of the female protocols. I mean, you say that men who can, must wear a suit and a tie, you know, and there's particular colours that are, are fairly um, unoffensive in these environments. Um, you know, I've seen women thrown out for not wearing stockings, told to leave the courtroom. Wow, okay. I've seen women told to leave the courtroom for wearing open-toed shoes. So, and that's years ago. Mm. But now I think it, there, there is a relaxing of that. Like, I've actually attended court without my stockings on. And okay. uh, and I haven't. I, I didn't know that was a, a requirement. Uh, yeah, and I haven't. I haven't. I, I took took a took a chance. And you were waiting for the. Didn't wear my stockings. Miss Thorley. Um. Yeah, Miss Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I was allowed to appear, and I didn't have to excuse my appearance either. When one turns mm. up without a jacket, one must request the judge or ask of the judge to excuse excuse your appearance. Really, what happens is is you ask somebody else if you can borrow their jacket and the bleachers. I, well, I've seen I've seen one lawyer who had to do it for I think a completely legitimate reason. She, um, sole practitioner, and she, um, was I think she was actually on like on holidays, mm. and one of her matters got rung up into court. She had no one else, and she was, she was completely dressed in normal clothes. Oh like, my goodness! Like absolutely, like you know, joggers on, <laughs> shorts on, and like a polo. Oh my god! Um, thank. I mean, she was a fairly senior practitioner, mm -hmm. so. She has a bit more, but she was Was this in a regional court? Brisbane oh Federal Circuit Court. Um, and, but quite rightfully, she explained the situation mm -hmm. in, in, you know, and then the judge knew that it had been rung up, that mm -hmm. she had no chance to mm -hmm. go home. Um, 
and you know, fair enough. She was, she was, and she acted professionally the whole way through. I mean, she did a really good job. Um, but certainly, that should be the exception to the rule. So, what you're saying is maybe we shouldn't lax the dress rules for court? No, I think. I mean, the, when they laxed the rules for for women, I thought that was a very good decision because you're on your feet a lot, and I, I think there is a certain discrimination there because yeah. you need to be comfortable to perform, and if you're not comfortable because of probably a somewhat archaic rule, then. You know, well, I agree. I think. I think not having to wear high heels um, is is great, but you know let's go back to, let's go back to the the colonial noose then. Are we are we asking for individuals who are not necessarily comfortable with certain ways that Anglo um, Australians? Yeah, once you I suppose yeah you're right. Once you start opening the can of worms about comfort. Where does comfort end? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm I, also really comfortable in the tracksuit. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So look, I don't know. This, this, the, uh, look, obviously, and I think his name was Faiti or mm. Faiti or something like that. And yeah, please don't send me lots of emails on that one. Um, but I mean, he had a he. Had, I think from his perspective, it was a political statement. His was a political statement. So that's less about ties in general and more about a political statement It was of. political, but he's opened a can of worms. He has opened a can of worms. And, how you and we've, got, we've got Chief, Just, Chief Justice Bathurst here saying that we need to be less homogenous in the courts and, and identify with different cultures and communities. Um, so, yeah, look, I think there needs to be a shift, probably not out of the suit, but more out of how we train lawyers, maybe. So we, we do have a better community spread because oh. studying law is very very expensive it is yeah. it is a, a high gpa that you have to get or an op or whatever the subject you know whatever it is and then once you're in law it's actually quite a hard subject to pass there is a lot of dropout rates massive, massive drop rate. and then once you're in law the hours are very long um, the expectations are extremely high and there is an awful lot of sort of kind of aggro in, in the environment mm. just because everyone's always in conflict um, and I don't think that suits certain cultures no so there's no. There's, there's this kind of challenge about law that from the beginning that it's expensive to get into you've got to have a, you've got to have a very good education to get that high selection ranking or OP or whatever it's called now to even get into law in the first place mm. and, and that would cut out the low socioeconomic yep. schools yep. who don't get those GPAs um, or OP, sorry, mm. and then you've got the difficulty of doing the law in the first place. And if you don't come from a background where you're academically, um, you know, used to actually studying all the time and well, reading, you can go even further and say that um, the fact is, it's because it's a difficult course to, to pass. Your ability to work, for example, full time it's is very low. Yeah. So generally speaking, most people that are studying law are either not working at all and are supported by their parents or are working very minimal and mm. it's basically they're working for their pocket money mm. you know, mm. they're working to go you know spend it on dinner yeah um, it's not really to survive um, which is you know hugely yeah minimum wage and so on and so forth yeah so I think there's a lot of barriers to broadening the mm. um, broadening the the cultural 
sort of yeah. spread. I mean, what the Chief Justice is saying is, is very true. Um, I think, though, the issue there is we are 40, 50 years, I think, away yeah. from being able to achieve oh it. because two generations. We're not even at the stage at where the lawyers are. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to think about this. In order to get to where he wants, which I think we all agree we should eventually get there, um, is our intake of students isn't even enough. Our pass rate isn't enough. Right. Our people are being admitted into lawyers are not even nearly enough. The ones staying are not enough. The ones at senior level are not That's enough. Right. Barristers are not enough. You know, so that we're about, I reckon about eight stages away from that. Yeah, this is really hard. Isn't it's it? a kind of flow on effect. Because we're talking about getting more people from different community backgrounds mm. into law school. So in 30 years time, they have an opportunity to become a judge. And they're probably going to, even if they did a really good job today, mm. all right, so tomorrow our intake in, into students becomes where we think it should be. Yeah. Those students are probably going to be 30, you know, in 30 years' time will become the absolute minority in the judiciary. But there's also an additional problem that law is about the English language. Yeah, you have to be very good with when English. I studied, Yeah, when I studied law, there were no international students because international students sometimes have not the same grasp of English as a, as a native English speaker and therefore, therefore found the, the English content in law mm. to be really challenging. So how do we get, how do we get from there to here? How do we, how yeah. do we, do we, we can't dumb down law because that's just crazy. No, it's but, but how do we get community, other community, or you know, involved? I just, I just, I actually don't know. Oh my god, that's a big question, right? It's a very <laughs> difficult thing to fix. Um, I think everyone can can appreciate that there's a problem there, but there are so many barriers. I just, I, I was just thinking about this this morning about you know, Chief Justice Bathurst quite rightly saying that we need more, more cultural diversity in the courts. How to achieve that? I just, I actually don't even know where to start. I think one of the problems is as well, this is the first time I've ever turned my mind to this. I mean, I, I don't even think our industry is really even talking about it yet. No, we, we're still talking about having more women in the industry. Yeah, yeah. We, we're kind of doing one battle at a time. <laughs> and I mean, I certainly can see great strides there. And, and I personally believe that by the time I'm sort of senior practitioner, I think it might be fairly close to. Oh, absolutely, there are more females studying law now than males, yeah. so we can assume at some point in the future. But of course, there are barriers of women and children being out of the out of the industry. Yeah. Well, set that aside, the community, the, the cultural challenges mm. is so far into the future for us. Oh, I, I'm not <laughs> as grave as this sounds. I'm not sure I'll even get to see it in my no. lifetime. No. Um, it's, as sad as it sounds, I think you're right. We have a lot of barriers to overseas lawyers who are already lawyers. Actually, that's right. Coming um, to Australia and practicing law here. So what probably what we need to do is open that up before anything. Before we start trying to get our law students to get to that position. But yeah, I don't know where to start. Call, call me the skeptic, but uh, I'm not so certain lawyers themselves want to open up barriers for potentially overseas lawyers being able oh, to come no. in. I mean, as bad as that sounds. 
Yeah, it's another clothes industry, I guess, you know, it's one of these things. But anyway, if anyone has an opinion on this, um, Chief Justice is right, Chief Justice um, Bathurst isn't right. Yeah, give us some ideas yeah. about how, like, how do we fix this? How do we I fix mean, this? We're in the industry, we're the voices. And I'm, I don't <laughs> really have one. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just... I mean, we can try, but... <laughs> yeah, so, you know, anything out there, guys? Is he, is he right? Do we, do we need more cultural diversity in mm. our courtrooms in order to make our uh, lawyers and judges more relevant, yeah. um, more trusting? Um, I don't know. Yeah, let, let us know. know. I think, well, I think, I think we're there. For, for the week. Absolutely. Thank you for watching, everybody, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks' time. All right, see ya. See you later.